So what is a Christian? That's what we're looking at. That's what we're answering. And what we're going to look at, again, kind of picking up in one sense in what Rodney wonderfully shared with us this past week on being born again. So I just kind of want to speak kind of on the same general subject, but maybe from a different angle. And specifically, what it means to be born again and what it is to be a Christian, as we've been saying, there's a threshold that you cross. Jesus says that I am the door. That means that there's a threshold. There's a on one side of the door and on the other side of the door. You got a door. That's a bad example because the door is open. Thanks. Nice sermon illustration you are. <laughs> but if that door was closed, you could maybe see it. That there's on one side of the door, you cross through a threshold. In fact, you can see that to go into the other side. That's all good, Mickey. So there, there is a threshold that one crosses. And as we're going to look this morning, that threshold is Jesus. He is the door. And specifically what happens when you cross that door is being born again. And the purposes of the church are only and can only be fulfilled in this earth through those who have been born again. This isn't my theology or the NCMI theology. This is Jesus' words. And we want to clearly understand that. Not to bring a heavy or say, are you born again? To, so that there is a biblical understanding of what it is that happened when we got born again. What is being born again? And how do we get born again? And you may say, I've been born again for 20 years, Paul. I don't need to know this again. But it's still good to look at the big picture purpose of what happens and what we're shooting for. And here's what we're shooting for. We are not, let me tell you what we're not shooting for. We're not shooting to have a Sunday morning gathering of people who are born again, who gather together and eck out an existence until we die or Jesus returns. And until that happens, we just kind of hopefully survive. That is not the purpose of Jesus for the church. The purpose for the church is that we become conduits, vessels, gateways, that the kingdom of heaven that has been cut off from this earth through sin, finds a gateway into the earth to manifest the very kingdom of heaven through the church. Another way we could say that is that the church, according to Ephesians 4, is to grow up into the fullness of Christ. How many of you believe that? I'm not saying how many of you would answer the question right in your little theological pop quiz... How many of you believe that in your heart of hearts? Let this be our intention and motivation when we wake up on Monday morning. We are vessels of the kingdom of heaven. And so let's, let's look at, 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 at the first thing. What is being born again? If you'll turn with me, we're going to look at John chapter 3, a couple verses today, and then we'll turn to Jeremiah 31. John chapter 3. What is being born again? Well, I'll tell you one important part of being born again is that according to Jesus, you can see the kingdom of God and you can enter the kingdom of God. How do we get that? John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, who kind of is like a teacher 
uh, amongst the Jews, and he kind of goes privately to Jesus. I'm sure he was embarrassed to be seen asking Jesus theological questions, so he kind of finds him privately and is like, Jesus, like, kind of, can you tell me some stuff here? And in verse 3, he says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, this is Jesus' words, born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, let's, let's stop right there. See the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom? Well, if you take the English word kingdom, as in kingdom of God, you would break it into two different words. Kingdom, king's domain. What is the kingdom of God? It is the realm in which the will of the king is being done. You could also simply say heaven. The place where there is no sin, where there is no obstruction whatsoever to the perfect will of God being done, actually manifesting. That's the kingdom of God. Jesus says, unless you are born again, you cannot see that kingdom. When man fell in the garden, uh, Adam and Eve fell, they bit the forbidden fruit. It, it says that they lost access to the tree of life. And what that means is that there was, their spiritual connection with God was cut off. They could not have spiritual intimacy with God anymore. And as a consequence, they could not perceive know or discern the kingdom of God anymore. That's what that word means, to see the kingdom of God. It is to perceive, to know, and to discern. So when I got born again, at the age of 17, there were kind of three things. Rodney tells this awesome story of like he, uh, last week, of how he gets born again and like he sees the skies and the trees and, and everything is like different colors and he's feeling differently. And I experienced maybe some of that is in terms of this newfound awareness of God in me. But I'll tell you what God started doing in me. He started correcting some stuff. <laughs> and, and, and I wouldn't have described it as joy. It felt like grief. Grief about stuff that I had never before felt grief about at all. The first thing that he began to address was my substance and drug, alcohol and drug abuse. And so I was not chemically addicted to drugs and, and alcohol, but I was psychologically dependent upon those things. And so, <laughs> welcome to the club, awesome. Rodney wants you to know, the whole eldership team used to have a drug problem. <clears throat> hey, you know, Paul used to kill Christians, so, so we're in good company. So he begins to, now you have to understand in my world, everybody spent their time at the parties. And if you were cool, that's what you did. You got, you, you got high, got drunk, and other stuff. And, uh, and that's, that was the lifestyle. I did not know any born-again Christian for a full year after I got born again. That's a whole other story. I'm not going to tell you that now. Most of you know it anyway. And so, but what happened to me was that I began to feel grief about these things, and that's one of the testimonies in my life that I know this thing is real because this grief that I was feeling did not come because a preacher was telling me how I should live. No, no church was, it, it was talking to me at all about, in fact, in the church I grew up in, at the potluck supper, at the community groups that that church had, there was alcohol aflowing. <laughs> you know, the priest got drunk. You know, so it wasn't church. So if it wasn't church, what was it? 
I didn't grow up in a church culture that said you shouldn't get drunk and all that stuff. What was it? Why did I start feeling bad? The spirit of the living God inside of me. And so that was a huge point when I, be, when I made the leap of faith to respond and to cut that off. And it brought a whole change in my world, my life, when I finally yielded. And, and so, hallelujah, I'm free. Jesus, we can run. We can be good now. And then he says, you know what else, Paul? You've got a, a, a sexual thing. You've got, some, you've, got, you've got some perversion that has been put on you by your society, and I want you freed from that. Okay. And that was another big problem. Like a big problem. As in, I felt as though I was in a cage and my brain was trained to think a certain way with regards to sexuality that had been put on me by society, and I had no other way of seeing that, and I, I, I had no other way of thinking, no other way, consequently, of living. It's all I knew, and it was a huge problem because it was totally outside of my ability to change. But you know what? It changed, and you know how it changed? It's because as I began to repent Repent, saying, Jesus, I'm not going to do this anymore. Not knowing how I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not willing to live my life saying, you're my Lord, and we're going that way. Which is hypocrisy. I don't know how to even walk in the freedom that you need me to walk in, but I'm repenting, and I began to cry out to God for help. You know how the help came? I began to have my eyes of my heart opened by that same spirit of God that convicted me began to show me another way of seeing sexuality. I began to see it through his lens. And as I began to take thoughts captive on a daily basis, when those temptation thoughts would come, I would choose this other way of thinking. And, and as I said, often one day I realized I'm not struggling anymore. I am set free. I'm not saying I don't ever have temptation, but it comes from the outside. It's not in me anymore. It's not a stronghold. What's my point? That is what Jesus is talking about when he says, seeing the kingdom of heaven. I didn't even see that before I was born again. And because I'm born again, the spirit of God is working in me to bring about in me, in my heart, in my thinking, that which is already in heaven. And if we are not just doing the religious church Christian thing, if we're actually following Jesus as Lord, he is going to take you up on that and start to reshuffle some stuff in your heart and in your thinking and your life. Why? Because you are his home. And if you're like me, I like my home to be the way I want it. I want it clean and I want to enjoy that space. And it, with Jesus, he doesn't just want to clean you up for his good. He wants to clean you up for your good and your freedom. I'm free, my friends. And it feels a whole lot better. And it wasn't a fun process to get there. Let me just tell you. So, so you cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again, which would mean if you are born again, you can see the kingdom of heaven. Right? That would be logical. I won't even get into the fear of public speaking, which was the next thing he began to deal with. He said, okay, you know what, Paul, you're free now of some things, but you also have a call in your life. And that was the biggest fear in my life. I'm not going to even get into that, but the whole point is the freedom in every single one of these things that he began to address came from him showing me 
his perspective, my eyes being open to see that which he already has available for me in his kingdom, which you cannot see with your eyes, it's in you. It is in you through the Holy Spirit, and it wants to get out. Our heart is the, is the key valve that determines, are we going to yield or are we going to resist? I pray today we be a church that yields. I want the kingdom of God come. I don't want Border City Church to be this great church and that be our vision. I want Jesus' kingdom to manifest in Detroit to the nations of the earth because a people said yes and followed him wherever he was taking them. That is what we want to see. That's what I want for my life. So that, then he says, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? You know, rational question. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Horrifying question. Verse 5, Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. What is being born again? It means the Spirit comes back into you by the grace of God the Holy Spirit into a sinful person. By the blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is once again able to inhabit a person. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That word enter means two, two kind of things. One, it means what you would know, enter, to go into a place, cross through a threshold and enter a place. But it also metaphorically would refer to coming into the state of a thing. So you're coming into the state of the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you cannot enter, which is to say, if you are born again, you can come into your life here on earth, can come into the state that is, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, congruent with the kingdom of heaven. Where there is little to no obstruction between that which is in heaven and that which is flowing through your life. That's our home, folks. That's what we want to see. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And so, you know, to, just to, you know, use the same examples with regards to what I just said, areas where I found freedom, that is what Jesus is talking about. It's one thing to see sexual purity, but then it's taking your thoughts captive time and time again, displacing those thoughts with the way God thinks, and you begin to, over time, enter into the state of the kingdom of heaven which I by the grace of God I would say I'm walking in at least something of that in that realm and in other areas of my life hopefully many of us in, could say the same that's entering but there's another part of this is the eternal salvation element actually entering sin and it's it's its effects, according to scripture, would cause any person who has sinned to have no inheritance in the kingdom of God, Paul says. You mean if I, I just tell a little white lie? Yes. There is no inheritance for sin, and if you partner with sin, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. That's a problem, right? Therefore, God has made us through what Jesus did, as Rodney wonderfully taught us, 
who have a sin nature and who still sin, he bore the punishment on our behalf. He became sin for us. He, he became sin. In other words, God's wrath towards sin was fully poured out on the person of Jesus so that if we place our faith in him, that wrath does not have to be poured out on us. But the reality is, if you understand what I just said, that unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God, now we understand the humanitarian nature of us spreading this gospel to as many people as we possibly can during this short thing that we call life on earth. Do you hear what I'm saying? Now, I know some of you don't even believe that, and we should probably even delve deeper into this because we need to understand hell and heaven. And it's not about hell and heaven. Like, there's a lot more to the gospel than that, but that is important. And God has provided the means to enter into the kingdom of heaven, and it is through receiving Jesus and being born again. So his purposes on earth can't be fulfilled unless we're born again through, through us, but neither can the eternal salvation and eternal fellowship in the kingdom of God that my soul goes there when I die without being born again. So let's talk about what happens at being born again. Can you turn with me to John chapter 31 quickly? Uh, sorry, Jeremiah 31. As you're turning to Jeremiah 31 in your phone, uh, let me just kind of give you some history. There was a problem that happened in the Garden of Eden. Man fell. God immediately begins coming up with a redemptive plan. He, uh, he calls a people unto himself uh, by calling this man Abram. And he says to Abram to leave Ur of the Chaldees where he was living. Uh, people that didn't even know God to leave his family, <laughs> to leave his father, to leave his, everything that he knew. And to follow God to a land that, I, he, that God would show him. He didn't even know where God was going to take him. He just left his family, left everything and started following God. And God started speaking to him of giving him a land and giving him descendants that would be as numerous as the stars and the sands of the sea. And, and Abraham lives and, he, and God even t tells him that his descendants are going to go into uh, captivity and be slaves in the land of Egypt for 430 years, which happened. The Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob went into captivity in, in, um, in Egypt and God raised up a deliverer by the name of Moses. You ever heard of him? And Moses comes and, uh, and he shows signs and wonders to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And eventually they leave the land of Egypt and they miraculously, by the power of God, the Red Sea splits. They leave Egypt, go into the wilderness, and they sadly wander there for 40 years because of their doubt and unbelief. Can you imagine? Don't want to judge them because we could do the same thing. But if God splits the ocean for you, don't you kind of have some faith to enter into the promised land, even if there are giants in there? Anyways, I shouldn't, I shouldn't judge them because we could just as easily have done the same thing. They, they wander 40 years in the wilderness, and one generation dies off, and then Joshua, the next guy, uh, takes them to, to go in. But while they had been in the wilderness, this guy Moses, he went up into a mountain called Mount Sinai, and God gave him a, uh, a law, and he wrote it on tablets of stone, and it's the old covenant. It was instructions written on stone of what to do and what not to do. And that law was to be the way they regulated and governed their life when they come into the promised land. And when they came into the promised land, 
They began to fight the giants and push back the nations that were there, and they took possession of all the land that God had given them, and then they began to violate that law and ultimately begin worshiping the gods of the other nations to a point that we find in Jeremiah that this long-awaited time of God's wrath coming, that he was going to send calamity to the land, and he was going to drive his own people out of the land to become captives once again in the land of Babylon for 70 years. Are you tracking? And even before they are sent away, all of them, into this land of Babylon for 70 years, God starts speaking to his people through this prophet Jeremiah, telling them even before they go away to captivity, I'm going in the future to give you a new covenant. That new covenant is being born again. Let's read what God says through this prophet in verse 31 of chapter 31 about this situation. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was husband to them, says the Lord. In other words, they were unfaithful while I remained faithful to them. What is this covenant? It's the law written on tablets of stone. Verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Firstly, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I do not profess to be a uh, translator of the Bible. I don't speak fluent uh, ancient Hebrew, but I would dare say, I know this is... This is dangerous of me to do, but I cannot get away from, I don't believe that that is a good translation to say that I will put the law in their minds because everywhere that Hebrew word is used in the Old Testament, it's talking about the insides. What God said is, I will put my law in their insides, in their innermost being. My spirit, in other words, will come and unite with their spirit, in fact, in their hearts, And instead of a written moral code that's been written on tablets of stone, I will put the spirit that is inside the kingdom of heaven, that that is the life force, if you can, of the kingdom of heaven, that will come inside of those who become born again in the new covenant. We no longer live by a written moral code. One thing I want to say here, number one, what happens in the new covenant is that His direction comes from an inner witness on the inside. And many Christians, sadly, and if this applies to you, you know, if if the shoe fits, wear it. If many Christians live in the new covenant or in the new covenant age, but with an old covenant heart, we're still trying to abide by some moral code, the system of do's and don'ts. Shouldn't do that. You can do this. Can't do that. And meanwhile, the essence of the new covenant is a law. It's the spirit of God dwelling on the inside of you. Let me put it into another perspective. My freedom that came in the areas of lust, drug addiction, or abuse, and uh, fear of public speaking, that freedom did not come because I, I followed some law. And even the conviction in my heart that I needed to change things didn't come from the law. It came from the Spirit of God within and the Word of God teaching me the ways of God. 
when Jesus, there's a, a moment where he heals a blind man of Bethsaida. And he takes this blind man and he leads them away from the crowd and he goes out into this like remote kind of private area with them. And you know what he does with this blind man? He spits into his eye. And then he has him open. He says, what do you see? And the blind man says, well, I, I see men, but they're kind of like walking around like trees. They're, you know, they're blurry. And he goes, okay. And then he puts his fingers on the eye and then he tells him to open up and he says, what do you see now? And he's like, I can see everything. Did Jesus know to do that because it was written on some tablet of stone? How did he know to spit in the dude's eye? This, the life of the Spirit of God leading him. Now you may say, oh, geez, I don't want to spit in no person's eye. That's not the point. The point is the essence of what Jesus modeled was, a, was not obedience to a law. It was living in spiritual communion with a God you cannot see who's leading you. That is what brings the kingdom of God into the earth. Let's go on to the second thing. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So the first thing is that his direction comes from an inner witness. The second thing is that we have right relationship with God. He's God. We are his people. What does that look like? That looks like God leading us. Us leaning on God for deliverance when necessary. That he's our refuge. He's our rock. He's our provider. He's our everything. He's our God. He's the one who has the plan. He's the one that we trust in. He's the one that we're looking to. He's the one that came up with the whole idea of the promised land and all the stuff that our life fits into. He is the one. We're looking to him and we're acknowledging you're the one. My lust for this wonderful career that I want or this wonderful retirement that I want, that's not what I'm pursuing. I'm pursuing you. You're my God. And if that's the case, I am your people. We are your people. And in the new covenant, if we relate rightly, which is to say Jesus is Lord, he becomes our God, we become his people, which should become a testimony in the earth that everyone can see we are his people because of what's happening through us. Thirdly, verse 34, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. Personal relationship with God. And if I can just make this clear, we are not, this is not a scripture to say that we shouldn't have preaching and teaching anymore. Like, why are you telling me how to know the Lord? You know, because, I mean, clearly the whole, everything in the scripture after Jesus ascends back into heaven is people teaching and preaching and all that kind of stuff. That's not what's happening here. It is now that when I preach, and here's Mickey, and I'm preaching, it is not me, the guy that knows the Lord, preaching to Mickey, the guy that doesn't know the Lord. It is both of us having a relationship with the same God. I just have a different gift. I have a different function in the church. But he has other elements of Jesus that I need. You follow what I'm saying? That everyone from the least to the greatest knows him in this new covenant. It's not the priests and the Levites and the scribes. Everyone doesn't just know about him, knows him. I know him. Like he's changed my life. We all should be able to say he has transformed my life. I used to be this and now I'm walking in this. It's because I know him. I'm following him. That is, that is the essence of new covenant is knowing him. When Jesus prayed, 
Right before he goes to the cross in John 17, he said to the Father, you've given him authority to give eternal life to everyone you've given him, and this is eternal life, that they would know you and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That is the essence. Everything in the kingdom of heaven that this new covenant is about revolves around relationship with him. It's, that's what the whole thing ends up being about. So his direction comes from an inner witness, as we said, which means that the kingdom of God comes through the Spirit's leading. Right? This is all about the kingdom of God coming, right? He says, I will be their God, they shall be my people. Which means in the new covenant, we become subjects of this king and this kingdom. Right? And in this, the last thing I just said about uh, we all shall know them is that this kingdom is based upon relationship. And then let's look at this next thing. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Is that in the new covenant, you have forgiveness of sins. You have forgiveness of sins. So here's the deal. When the old covenant was given to Moses, it was given to sinful people. So you had sinful people being taught on this stuff written on stones how to live holy. But because they had sin, they didn't have the ability to live holy, as try as they might. And the only way to live holy is to have access to God, but they couldn't have access to God because they had sin. So you have this perfect foil of you're not worthy, and because you're not worthy, you don't have access to God. And because you don't have access to God, you can't actually become holy or to manifest the kingdom of God. And in the new covenant, he makes us worthy. Not that we don't have a sin nature, but before God, he makes it so that his righteousness becomes ours. He imputes righteousness to us. He gives us his Holy Spirit, and he declares us worthy. And in so doing... Not on our own merit, his, we now have access to God. And that is what enables us to become holy and to manifest the kingdom of God. I hope that makes sense. The, this is the relevance of forgiveness of sins, is that we have access so that we can become who we're called to be. By the grace of God. Forgiveness enables us to access the kingdom and become agents of the kingdom. And so all of this to say, how do you get born again? I just want to quickly run through this real quick. You ready? Romans 10, verse 9, you probably heard it. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is my Savior. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus, come live in my heart. What's another one? If you declare with your mouth, I'm saying all the things. No, what the scripture says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, highest in authority, supreme. Another way you could say it is king. It's all about the kingdom of God, and there's a king in that kingdom, and his name is Jesus. And if it's about kingdom of God coming, will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven, it needs subjects of that kingdom living on this earth who are following a king that they can't see, but nevertheless lives inside of them. Jesus is Lord. That is how we cross through the threshold from death into life, from, from not being born again to being born again, from not being in the kingdom of heaven to now being a child of God in the kingdom of heaven, is the declaration that Jesus is Lord. 
And the kingdom of God only comes, as I just said, through those who are following him according to who he is. Lord. I hope all those pieces kind of tie together there. It's not just some declaration. I said the words, Jesus is Lord, before I got born again. And I didn't have faith in my heart. So it's not just saying Jesus is Lord. It's, it's actually a gift of faith that God puts inside of you. He gives you faith and causes you to see who Jesus is. And it's in seeing him, then your mouth says, you are Lord. You follow? Paul says, like, according to what I just said, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Is it possible for an unbeliever to say the words, physically say the words, Jesus is Lord? Yeah, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's saying that something happens in your innermost being that happens only by the Spirit of God to unveil Jesus. And when you see him, it's receiving him as who he is. You get born again. It happened to me at the age of 17. Every attempt to serve God outside of following Jesus as Lord is simply a manifestation of the very human pride that caused Jesus to have to go to the cross in the first place. It's our efforts to do to serve God, and it's a cheap, cheap, cheap substitute for what he's given us, which is the lordship of Jesus. Come, follow me. And there is an invitation even right now, even if you already have made that decision to follow him, there's an invitation every single day, right now. Come, follow me. Can I invite you just to turn your hearts right now I would, like, I, I would like for us as a church family to, to connect our faith around some things this morning as we close. Firstly, let's yield our hearts to his lordship once again. Perhaps your heart has been broken. Perhaps you have a hard time yielding, submitting I want to, to remind you that this is the one who went to a cross for you. He loves you. He is not just some harsh authority figure. He is the savior of the world. His leadership and his authority only produce health and healing, goodness in the kingdom of God. But perhaps some of us in this room have been resisting Perhaps some of us have simply not even been seeking him. You're not resisting. You're not even like aware of him during the week. Which is to say you're depending on something other than him. Your own strength perhaps. Just going through the motions of life. Jesus invites us to a higher plane than that. A higher plane of living. Life in the spirit. Living by faith, hearing his voice and obeying it. And if you're in agreement that you want, you say, yes, I trust Jesus. I trust you. I trust your leadership. I just want to ask you just right now where you are, just to 
voice. Let your heart be made known to him. Just let it spill out of your, out of your own heart, perhaps even out of your mouth, just to, just to yield yourself and to give him that space once again. Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are my king. You are my king. Rend your heart. Jesus, we only trust in you. Our trust is in you. Thank you for your long suffering towards us. Thank you for you're not demanding perfection so that we can come to you. You're inviting us in even where we're at so that you can perfect us. Lord, we say yes, we come to you. Declare that you are Lord. I want to I push down on the throttle a little bit as a church family. I think it's important that we recognize what this thing is all about. I have it in my heart today that we need to be a people that expect kingdom of God to come, will of God to be done in our lives, in our church community. It should be that when we gather together to worship that what is happening in heaven manifests here on earth that his presence is seen and known, that his glory and his power are manifested. It should be that when we walk into our offices, that there's something of the smile of God upon our lives and there's something of his, his presence going, there's something of him using us. I want to say, guys, let's lift our eyes to what he's called us to. Kingdom of God come. I want to say at the same time, he, as, I said, as we said earlier, let's lift our gaze to his words. He said, on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Can we agree right now, Jesus, Jesus, we declare your kingdom come as we yield ourselves to your lordship. We are expecting nothing else other than, nothing short of an increase of the manifestation of your kingdom in our lives, in our church, through us to the city, through us to this region, through us to this nation, and even to the nations of the earth. Your kingdom, let your power and your glory and your worship and your truth and your purity come to us and through us. We declare over everything that we face, the church you're building, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We declare it to be so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.